The text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here Paul is talking about spirit and soul and body. We get a picture, as we've said before here, of the threefold man. And we've talked to some extent, discussed to some extent about some things about the body, not everything that could be said or should be said perhaps, and uh, some about the soul. But it is our primary purpose in this seminar to talk about the spirit. Because the spirit of man is really the real you. The man on the inside is a spirit being. And he'll continue to live when the physical body is dead and put in the grave. Last night we gave you two points of a four-point formula for educating, training, developing, and building up the human spirit. You see, friends, your spirit can be educated just as really as your mind is educated. Your spirit can be built up in strength just as your body can be built up. It comes, number one, by meditation in the Word. You see, the Word of God was given to us by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of old wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God and inspired by the Spirit of God. And the Word of God was given to us to fit and to develop our spirit natures, our spiritual man. God said, as we pointed out in Joshua 1.8 to Joshua, when he became leader of Israel, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So he tells Joshua how it is that he can make his way prosperous and have good success in life. In fact, another translation reads, and then thou shalt be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. You couldn't very well have success in life without being able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. Now, how is it coming about? By meditation in the Word. There is a principle. God said this to Joshua. But there is a principle that's involved here that will work for us. Spiritual principles work, praise the Lord, and never change. There's a spiritual law or a spiritual principle involved here that never changes. And so we would paraphrase it in New Testament language like this. This book of the New Testament shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do or to walk according to the law of the new covenant, which is the law of love. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. 
but it will come about, number one, by meditating in the Word. In other words, began the development of your own spirit, men and women. Began the development of your own spirit. Your spirit must have the privilege of meditation in the Word and of feeding upon the Word. Take time to meditate in the Word. And then number two, the educating, the training, the development, the building up in strength of our spirit comes by practicing the Word. Now what do I mean when I say practicing the Word? I mean the same thing that James means and says in the book of James, the very first chapter, and I would invite you to turn with me there to this epistle, please. James chapter 1, verse 22. We shall begin to read with verse 22 of the first chapter of the book of James. And may I remind you that James is not writing this epistle to sinners. He's not writing this letter to the world. He's writing this letter to Christians, to believers, to brethren. You see, he says here in the very first verse, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, my brethren. The 19th verse, he said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren. Then he began in the second chapter, he said, My brethren. And right on through the chapter, you'll notice again and again, in fact, beginning in the third chapter, he says, My brethren. And then when he comes down to the fifth chapter to even show you more clearly that he is writing to believers, to the brethren, he said in James 5.14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. So he said, Is any sick among the church? He's, he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's talking to brethren. So then he said here in this 22nd verse, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. A doer of the word is one who practices the word, who puts the word into practice. It's one thing to hear it, it's another thing to do it. We have too many hearers of the word. Too many times we hear it, we shake our heads, yes, we even say amen, that's all true, but we don't do it. And so it won't help you any like that. And so he said, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Now notice the next verse. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, in this 22nd verse, he said, not only said, but be ye a doer of the word, not a hearer only, but he said, deceiving your own selves. The margin reads, deluding your own selves. Now, we've got a lot of self-deluded people. You see, though the devil didn't delude them, no, the devil didn't deceive them. They've deceived and deluded themselves. He said, if you hear the word but don't do it, don't practice it, you're deluding yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're the one that did it, not the devil, not somebody else. No use trying to blame it on somebody else. Very easy to blame things on somebody else. But whether anybody else does the word or not, you can. Praise the Lord. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? 
Whether anybody else walks in love or not, bless God, you can walk in love. And to be a doer of the New Testament, you'd have to walk in love. Because you see, that's the new law of this new covenant. You know, Jesus said, I give unto you a new commandment. Don't you remember him saying that to his disciples? I give unto you a new commandment. What is this new commandment? What is this new commandment? That you have love one toward another. Praise God. And of course, you remember that John said in his first epistle that we know that we have passed from death, that spiritual death, unto spiritual life because... We love the brethren. And so when we say be a doer of the word and practice the word, we mean walk in the light of the New Testament, not in the light of the Old Testament, because a lot said back there don't apply to the church anyhow. It applies to Israel or to the Jew. But we have a new covenant, thank God, which is a better covenant, actually, the book of Hebrews said, and it's established on better promises. Aren't you glad for that? Praise the Lord. And so therefore, number one, take time to meditate in the word. Number two, practice the word. Now, number three, here's the third point. Now, naturally, all of these points that we give you and principles that we give you are, are word-centered. Because, you see, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Peter said, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Hallelujah. The Bible said in the book of Hebrews, concerning Jesus, that he is a surety, the surety, of a better covenant. He calls this New Testament a better covenant. And he said that Jesus is the surety of this better covenant. Now what does that mean? That means he stands back of every word from Matthew through Revelation. Praise God. Isn't that right? He stands back of every word from Matthew through Revelation. He stands back of it to make it good. The scripture said in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 1.12, in the King James translation, it said that God said, I will hasten my word to perform it. But the margin of my King James translation reads like this, that he said, I watch over my word to perform it. In other words, he watches over his word to do it. He watches over his word to make it good. But you see, if you don't act on God's word, if you don't practice God's word, then he doesn't have anything to make good in your life. Are you, are you following me in that? He doesn't have anything to watch over in your life to make good. He doesn't have anything to hasten to fulfill because you are not acting on his word. You are not a doer of his word. You are not a practice of his word. You stand by his word and God will stand by you. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? So then naturally when it comes to spiritual development because the word of God has been given to fit and to develop our spirit nature, then naturally it all hinges and hangs and centers around the word of God. And so then number three then is by giving the word, this development, this, this training, this educating of our spirits comes by giving the word the first place in our lives. It comes first by meditating in the Word. You see, you wouldn't be able to 
to practice the word if you didn't first know what the word said. You wouldn't be able to be a doer of the word if you didn't know what the word said, could you? You can't do something that you don't know. So that's the reason first you have to meditate in it. The word doesn't become real to you until you, you know what it says and act on it. And then it becomes real. And so first, by meditation in the word. Second, by practicing the word and being a doer thereof. And third, by putting the word first in your life. Putting God's word first in your life. Now we can become so word conscious that no matter what comes up, no matter what we face, the first thing we think of is what does God's word say? See, first thing we think of is what does God's word say? Now, now you know that there's not really many people like that. When emergencies arise, they think first of all from the natural standpoint so much of the time is because they haven't soaked in the word of God. They haven't built God's word into their spirits and so something else comes to their mind. And they rush to do something else other than what God's word said. But I believe that we, we should sow and can sow. Feed upon God's word and, and soak in God's word. Until God's word becomes a part of our inward nature. Until when any emergency arises or whatever comes, the first thing we'll think of from the inside of us, not up here, but from the inside of us, what God's word says will rise up in us. Praise God. And will give illumination to our mind, give direction to our spirits. But if God's word does not have first place in our lives, then we'll think of something else. We'll put something else first. Very often people try to get advice from somebody else instead of listening to what God has to say about it. Amen. Well, now, if people cannot advise you in line with the Word of God, as a Christian, their advice is, is very poor. And I'll tell you, sometimes you can get in trouble by following the advice of Christians. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I almost died. I like to die. I would have died. If I hadn't made, if from within me I hadn't put first things first and come back, you see, to do what God said to do. But, but you see, uh, I listen to preachers. I mean, I mean, you listen to preachers sometimes, not put God's word first. Amen. Amen. That's absolute truth. That's absolute truth. I know in my own particular case, I, I was pastor of a church down in East Texas. It was actually an, an Assemblies of God church, the last church I pastored. And, uh, and God began to deal with me about a ministry like I'm in today. He had told me when I took that church that, uh, that I would take that church in his permissive will and that would be the last church I'd ever pastor. Well, I took the church. But now from the natural standpoint, I had rather gone on No man wants to be away from his family, you know. My children were small, and I'd rather stayed home, been with my family. And there are certainly a lot of uh, rewards to pastoring that you don't have otherwise, and there's a certain amount of security that you don't have otherwise, and, and uh, a lot of things. But I, I sensed him speaking to my spirit, and I... Uh, Finally, obeyed God and went out on the field. But when you set out to do something God called you to do, you need to think that this is going to just always run easy. And you need to judge that you're not in the will of God because things are not running right. 
Did you hear me? Because if that be the case, things have to always run right. It'd be easy when you're in the will of God. Then Paul was never in the will of God. He missed God from the beginning to the end. Isn't that right? He, he never did get in the will of God, if that be the case. No, my brother, sister, the devil's the God of this world. It isn't God that puts pressure on you. Satan is the God of this world. And when you make a move to go on with God, he's going to be there to block you. He's going to put pressure on you. And I'll tell you, when I left my church, I, I, I knew a little bit. I'd had a little bit of experience in dealing with evil spirits and demons. I'd cast the devil out of a, a few insane people, and they were delivered from the asylum. But my experience was very limited. It's, it's limited yet, but it was mightily limited then. But I want to tell you the truth about the matter. I, in seven months' time, I fought more demons than I had in 15 years put together. I mean, seven months. They ganged up on me. They ganged up on me. And I fought more demons in seven months than I had 15 years put together. And I'll tell you, they wasn't anything went right hardly for me. Finances got choked off. See, the devil will shut you down one way or the other. And, and I had an opportunity to, uh, in fact, I, I spent February and March and April and May, five months on the field, actually. And then I had two more months involved there, which made the seven, but these five was enough. So I, I said, well, I, I'm, I'm going to quit the field. I, I'm going back to pastor. Now I had June dated up, but I, and so I went ahead and fulfilled my obligation for June, but it didn't. I canceled the other obligations I had for July and August. Went to a district convention. I canceled these meetings and so these preachers, while at this convention, could could talk to other evangelists, you see, and it wouldn't misput them. And so I canceled everything beyond June. So I went ahead and fulfilled my June obligation. And then a church had contacted me to see if I would be interested. In fact, the board had, had if I'd be interested in pastoring their church. Now, this is way back in 1949, see? And actually, this church is no doubt in my mind, it wasn't the largest, that is, number-wise. There was one church that was, uh, had more in Sunday school than they did, but they had the second largest number in Sunday school. But this church, I suppose, was the best all-around church it was in East Texas, full gospel church. And uh, they operated on this scale. They paid the pastor a certain basic amount and then gave him a certain percentage of all else that came in. And so the pastor told me, he said, I run anywhere from $750 to $1,150 a month income. Way back there in 49, when money was worth more than it is now. And the parsonage was furnished, and, and everything was furnished you besides that. Well, from that standpoint, anybody would like to have that, wouldn't they? You know, and I'd preach there and held meetings in that church, and they liked me, and I liked them. They believed in the movement of the Spirit, and they had manifestations of the Holy Ghost in their midst, and miracles happened all the time. And, and if God had been in it, there's not anything that I'd liked any better, see? But without considering God so much, I think, my spirit, at least in my head, I said, well, I'm going to I'm gonna accept the invitation to come and preach. I'd held revival there a couple of years before, I guess, or, or the year before, but they wanted me to come back and preach to the congregation, and, and uh, because some new ones had come in, they could become acquainted with me, and then they would vote whether or not they would uh, call me as pastor. And so I, I, I had it set, I had the first Sunday, I had it set to go the second Sunday of July. Actually, I really closed my meeting on, I, I said the first Sunday, really I had to set to go the third Sunday because I closed my June meeting on the first day of July, or, or along about there, the first Sunday of July, let's put it that way. So I had off this second Sunday of July, the third Sunday I was going there to preach. 
And I'll never forget it, boy. I know the date, July the 10th, 1949. You never forget those things, see. <laughs> so I said, this time off, we have this Sunday off, and I said to my wife, we live in Gladewater, Texas, time. And I said to my wife, let's go over to, to Mineola to church today. So we drove over to Mineola, Texas, and and uh, was in the service there. We got there for Sunday school. And I was in the, the the men's Bible class. In fact, the pastor of the church. This was the first assembly there. And the pastor taught the men's Bible class. Now, it so happened that that day there were three three other we preachers there besides him. He tried to get us to teach, and each one of us refused. We said, now, you go ahead. You didn't know we was going to be here anyway, so you got your lesson prepared, and we'll just help you teach. You go ahead and teach. I'll never forget what the lesson was about. I know exactly. See, I tell you, the lesson was from that, that day on July the 10th, 1949, was on the subject of Moses and the children of Israel. Moses disobeyed God by striking the rock twice. God just told him once, you see. And then secondly, it said concerning Israel that they were discouraged because of the way. I couldn't do too much commenting on that because... Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, without attracting attention maybe unto myself or, or around another hand, I guess I would have been an expert in commenting on it, you know. <laughs> but don't anybody like to tell off on themselves. But you know, while I was while I was there, I mean, right in the middle of that Sunday school class, suddenly I, my, my heart stopped. I had a heart attack. My heart stopped first. I mean, I fell off of the seat right over on my face. And then it picked up and started beating real fast. I mean, just running like a, like a trip hammer. You couldn't distinguish a beat, actually. I mean, I, these preachers tried to. They couldn't distinguish. They laid their hand on my heart. They fell in the book. And they said, we can't distinguish a beat. All we can do is just distinguish a flutter. But we can't distinguish between them. It's, it seemed like to me it must have been racing uh, two or three hundred beats a minute. I don't know. I mean, there's no way to time it. You couldn't time it. You couldn't test it. I got just as cold as ice all over it. So I got one of the preachers to go with me out to the postage. I mean, I'd been dead twice and came back, and I knew, I, I, I knew when death came after I got out there and lay down the postage in the bed because I began to leave my body. And I said to him, you run get these other two preachers. And he went and got them, and, and, or actually the other, yeah, the other two, and that was three of them. And when they checked, he said to them, check his heart. So when they did, they all began to cry pray and then I said to one of them because I knew I was going I said run get my wife quick but the spirit of God moved on the other end of the line when he got out there to the Sunday school line next where she's already getting up a person in her Bible and get ready to come because the spirit had told her and so in the minute she came into a room well she said uh, and I didn't know this I didn't know this at all I didn't know why he said go get her but the minute she came in the room she fell down to the bed and said I feel like it's my fault but she hadn't talked to me and really hadn't influenced me one iota this is all my own doings because she hadn't said a word to me, but she said, she said, I feel like it's my own fault. And she began to cry and pray to the Lord and said, Lord, said, said, that was you that spoke to me. He'd been gone five weeks one time and said, I heard this voice speak to me while I was washing dishes and said, I could take him where he never would come back. And she said, I looked through the house. I didn't know that. There's all revelation to me. He said, I looked behind the doors and even in the bathroom, all through the house, see who said that. And I checked the screen. The screen doors were hooked. And so I said, oh, well, my imagination's playing me tricks. But she said, that's the Lord. That was you. Spoke to me in an audible voice. Said, if you'll just spare him, well, I won't. I don't care what the, uh, 
Uh, how long he's gone? Where he goes? How long he's gone? I won't gripe or complain about it. You know, in her spirit, she hadn't said anything out loud about it, anything to me. But then the Lord showed me, you see, where I'd missed it. And when we made that consecration to God, I was instantly healed and jumped out of that bed. Well, immediately. But now here's what I started to tell you, though. You know how I come to get in that shape? Instead of listening to God and putting the Word of God first and putting the Spirit of God and what He said to me first, I asked different pastors. I, and these are all full gospel pastors. You see, even where a priest, you know, you know about it. You know, about all some people give you is natural advice. Well, they said, now, 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 your obligation comes first to your family. And you've got those little children, you ought to be home with them. You ought to be out here on the field. Preacher after preacher told me that. So I took their advice and tried to do it like they died. <laughs> well, a man can fulfill his obligation to his family, did you hear me? And still obey God. I mean, there's bound to be some people that has to have a field ministry. Has to be. I mean, because God didn't just call pastors and that's all, did he? You know, that's a strange thing to me. God bless our hearts. Some way or another, we missed the boat in a lot of this thing. Some way or another, that's about the only ministry and only ministry gift that ever receives any honor. Did you ever think about that? People act almost like that was the only ministry gift there is, and yet God put these other ministry gifts in there. Didn't he intend for him to function? And then not only that, not only that, but I tell you, brother, some people seem to think that God put all these ministries in there. He, he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, but he only made provision for the pastor to be supported. I don't shout me down just because I'm preaching real good. Can you say amen? amen. I mean, that that, that that seems to be almost the, <laughs> you, know, you know, he'd call all of them to preach and put all of them in the ministry, but just make provision for the pastor. He's the only one who made provision for, to be supported. But I don't believe a word of it. Do you? I said, I don't believe a word of it. Do you? I know Brother Copeland don't because he's an evangelist. <laughs> amen. But, uh, but friends, we become so short-sighted sometimes in these things. We can miss God. What I'm trying to point out to you is, friends, you can't always obey God and listen to others. I mean, even good people. They have their own ideas about things, and they tell you their opinions and tell you their ideas. I think what we ought to do, I'm talking about putting God first. I'm talking about putting the Word of God first. Can you say amen? Amen. We ought to ask ourselves, what does God's Word say? And you know, my brother, sister, if we had stopped and asked ourselves that a lot of times, there's a lot of things we'd do that we do do that we wouldn't do. Amen. And there's a lot of things that we don't do that we would do. If we just asked ourselves the question, what does God's Word say about it? What does God's Word say about it? And you can find direction in God's Word, and if you listen to the Holy Spirit, He'll take the Word of God and direct you. He'll take the Word of God and open it to you. In so many of the affairs of life, we already have direction from God. I'll tell you the truth about the matter, and God knows I'm not minimizing prayer because most of us need to pray more than what we are praying, especially in fellowship with the Lord. But a lot of times, things that we are praying about and things that we are praying to get and things that we are praying to do, uh, we'd have the answer if we'd just listen to the Word of God and we could save a lot of time. Amen. 
Amen, that's the truth. That's absolutely the truth. I told you about a lady who came one time to me. Said, Brother Hagin, I want you to pray for me. Well, I said, what for? And I'm not making fun of her. God knows I sympathize with her, but that won't help her. But she tuned up and began to cry. And she said, well, brother, she said, the, the, the burdens and the cares and the worries of life are just so heavy, I can't carry them. And so she said, I wanted you to pray that God would do one of two things. That he'd either take about half of them away, because I could carry half of them. I can't carry all of them. He'd either take half of them away or else give me grace to carry all of them. I said, I can't pray either prayer. I cannot pray either prayer. I said, sister, we've already heard from heaven. I reached and got my Bible. This is a word from heaven, brother. We've already heard from heaven. We've already got the answer to your prayer. Here it is, right here. And I opened my Bible to 1 Peter 5, 7, handed to her and said, read it. And she read, casting all your care. Casting all your care. All your worries, all your anxieties on the Lord, for he careth for you. She read that. Born again, spirit-filled, because she told me she was. Belonged to a full gospel church, because she told me she did. She looked up at me and handed me my Bible back and said, you don't understand. <laughs> I said, don't understand what? You just don't understand what I've got to worry about. Well, I said, I know, sister, I don't. With all the kindness I could muster in my voice, I said, I know, I'm sure. I don't understand, but thank God he does. Yeah, but she said, you're just hard. You're hard. Well, I said, sister, it wasn't me that wrote the Bible. It wasn't me that said, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. It wasn't me. It looks to me like anybody would be glad to know that. I'm talking about putting God's word first. Now, if you're going to put worry first, you can't put God's word first. Amen. If you're going to put anxiety first, you can't put God's word amen. first. Can you say amen? amen? You're putting something else first. You're not going to develop spiritually. You're not going to grow spiritually and gain spiritual strength putting something else first. Amen. You see what I'm talking about? Put God's word first. Ask yourself the question, now what does God's word say about this? I believe we should become so word of God conscious. Until regardless of what come up, we'd ask yourself the question, what does God's word say about this? And then do what that word said. Now, now you know, we're living in a day when we become tax conscious. Aren't we? I mean, you can't do a thing. There was a time that we weren't so tax conscious. You can't do a thing. You can't read one page in the news. Not even one. You can't even read one page in the newspaper without something about tax. You can't buy anything. You can't buy a gallon of gas. You can't buy anything. You can't do anything. You can't even die. You can't be born. You can't die about it. And you sure can't live, can you? Without taxes. I mean, we, we, we're tax conscious. Aren't we? Well, we have to, whether we want to or not, put that first, because they take that out of your check before you ever get it, buddy. Some of it. And you're paying the rest of it every time you buy something. Aren't you? See? Well, listen, I believe we can become Word of God conscious. I believe we can become Word of God conscious, don't you? So conscious of what God's Word said. It'll come about by our meditating and feeding upon God's Word till it becomes a part of us. 
So ask yourself the question, regardless of what the emergency may be that arises in your life or whether an emergency arises or not, whatever the situation is that exists, ask yourself a question, does God have anything to say about this? Does God have anything to say about this? What does he have to say about it? See, you can find the answer in every, in every avenue of life. Like I said, does he have anything to say about worry? Yes. Does he have anything to say about anxiety? Yes. He does, doesn't he? Tells you what to do with it. Well, if you don't do what God says, you think you're going to get any help from God disobeying his word? You're not. You're not putting it first. Well, now, does God's word have anything to say about the other affairs of life? Yes. Yes. No matter what you face, God's word has something to say about it. Because God's word said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Praise the Lord. Isn't that what it said? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So no matter what it is that you face in the world, he that's in you is greater than that. Now you believe that. Then you can face life fearlessly. You can face life with the spirit of a conqueror no matter what the circumstances are. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. But now if you're going to gripe and complain and fuss and fret about it, you're not going to get answers. That may be the reason your answer hasn't come yet. Because you're fretting about it. You know, over there in Philippians 4, 6, we looked at that in our prior series here in the daytime again. Philippians 4, 6 said, be careful for nothing, King James translation. That's a little blind to us. The Amplified translation said, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. <laughs> well, are you fretting about anything? I'm... You got any anxiety about anything? Anything means anything, doesn't it? Isn't it odd how we fret about things? Now we have anxiety about things and then wonder why God don't do something about it. You know why he don't? Because we won't let him. Amen. I said because we won't let him. We're holding on to it ourselves. We're hanging on to that situation ourselves instead of turning it over to God. Instead of quitting worrying about it and quit being full of anxiety about it and quit fretting about it. He wants to do something but he can't because we won't let him. We hang on to it. We hold on to it. Others help us because they're constantly reminding us of it. They know some of the kind of kin folks and friends, they know the situation that existed. And so they're constantly reminding you of it, constantly bringing your mind back to it. But you need to learn to answer them in faith. Amen. I learned that years ago. Amen. I learned that the hard way. I learned that the hard way, to put God's word first. See, I, wasn't, I had no association with full gospel teacher, people, no teaching on the subject other than the Word of God and a little, little, few little gleams of light, but I received my healing, went back you know, to the Baptist church, didn't know anywhere else to go. Of course, they didn't believe in divine healing like I believed it, but I, I held to it anyhow. And everybody I met said, how are you feeling? <laughs> and everybody I met said, you sure look bad. You look like you couldn't pick up one foot hardly and put it in front of the other. They didn't know it, but that's the way I felt. <laughs> well, doesn't it? Before you could ever answer them anything, they asked you another. They said, well, does your heart ever give you any more trouble? <laughs> I heard Dr. Robertson said, it got out all over town, little old town at Woods, you know. I heard Dr. Robertson said that you'd not last over 90 days. He said it. So many of them were so kind to come back and tell me what he said. <laughs> I went back to high school just a 17 year old boy in high school you see I missed one year but I went back to high school 
And so the professor called me in. Principal, that is, of high school. The principal. Mr. Smart, his, his initial was N.C. Smart. He belonged to the same church I did, the First Baptist Church of McKinney, Texas. He said to me, Kenneth, what I called you in the office, talked to you about, he said, is that all the teachers, I had one man teacher, professor, and the rest of them in third, third year of high school, and the rest of them were, uh, were, were lady teachers. One man teacher taught, taught uh, algebra. Because I'd, I'd missed one year, so I, I, I was taking, at this time, second-year algebra. And so uh, he said, uh, and the rest of them were lady teachers, you see. My Latin teacher was a lady teacher. My history teacher was a lady teacher. My English teacher was a lady teacher, you see. But I said, uh, and so he said to me, Kenneth, he said, uh, do you suppose you ought to come to school? I said, why? Well, he said, now I'll tell you, he said, he said, uh, all of these lady teachers are just scared to death that you'll fall dead in their classroom. <laughs> and he said, I, I, I phoned, in fact, he said, uh, one or two of them had phoned Dr. Robertson because they know him. And as I said, Mr. Smart was a member of the First Baptist Church. Dr. Robertson, my last doctor, the fifth doctor, was a member of the First Baptist Church. And so Professor Smart knew him, you see, real close. And so he said, I finally phoned him, said when, they, when these teachers, these lady teachers, called him and talked to him, he just like scared to death out of them. Because said he told him, yeah, that's what you probably do is fall dead right there. I, that's what I look for him to do any minute. And said they're just scared out of their wits almost. And he said, so I called him and I talked to him. And said he told me that uh, he'd give you 90 days at the most to live. And he said about 30 of that's already gone. <laughs> so he said, I, 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 I don't hardly know what to do. I'm not going to tell you not to come, but do you think that you ought to come to school? I said, I do. I do. Because I said, you see, I said, that, now Dr. Robertson said I was up by willpower. But I said, I'm not. I'm going by faith, and my faith will hold. And Mr. Smart said, just a boy, you see, standing there. I, I was putting God's word first. He said we walk by faith and not by sight, didn't he? Well, Mr. Smart then said, well, I tell you, he said, I, I, I called your mother and I talked to her. And I said, Miss Hagin, do you reckon you ought to let that boy come? And I told her that I'd called Dr. Robertson. She said, yes, Dr. Robertson talked to her and told her the same thing. And seeing there's all kind enough, except Mama, she didn't tell me. But all the rest of them was kind enough to tell me what he said. He didn't tell me that himself. See. But they got it back to me, what he said. And said, uh, I called your mother and said, uh, I asked her, Miss Hagin said, do you suppose you ought to let this boy come? Said, all of these lady teachers are just scared to death over here that he'll fall dead in the classroom. And said, she said, same thing you said. Said I said that Dr. Robinson said he's just up by willpower, but she said, no, he isn't, Mr. Smart. He's up by faith. And said he, his mother said his faith will hold. And so she, he, he told me that. He told me, said, that's what your mother said. And he said, I said, and she said, said she said, well, I, I wouldn't tell him not to come. And so he said, I'll tell you, Kenneth, he said, I'm going to leave it up to you. This is your decision. I said, I'm not quitting school. I'll live and not die. I'll live and not die. My faith will hold. When I said that, he began to cry. I mean, tears welled up in his eyes and rolled off his face. And he said, Kenneth, uh, that's, that's beyond my comprehension. I'm a member of the same church you're a member of. 
I believe I know the Lord Jesus Christ, my personal Savior, but that's beyond my faith. And if you believe that, I said, I do, sir. He said, I wouldn't put, I'd be the last one to put one stone in your way. I wouldn't stand in your way. You come right on. You come right on. But then, of course, folks who are not full of faith, the devil will help them to help you to miss it if they can. <laughs> See? Make it easier for you. And I don't, I, I don't doubt Mr. Smart was a Christian. But you see, uh, we, we've got so many, so many Christians that are, are sort of unbelieving believers. Can you understand that now? Amen. Can you understand that statement? I said, we've got so many that are sort of unbelieving believers. Amen. You know, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ at first. Satan, they know Him, but when it comes to anything else, don't believe a thing. <laughs> and that's not just Baptist folks either, boy. No. I know some Methodist folks that way. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. I, know some assembly of God folks that way. Amen. Don't you? What church are you a member of? <laughs> well, I know some folks who know that way in your church, and you do too. Well, there's unbelieving believers, it looks like, in a lot of places, aren't they? So he said, well, I'll tell you what now, Kenneth. He said, uh, Dr. Robertson said that you shouldn't be climbing the condition your heart's in. You shouldn't be climbing steps. And every class I had, I had to climb steps. In those days, I don't know how it is today, but we had this one large big study hall, you see, which is on the second floor. Actually, there's a basement down here. There's three, there's three stores to this thing, you see. And actually, you come up a big flight of steps to get up to this, this floor, you see. And then every class I had, I had to climb steps up and down when the class is over and come back down. And he said, Dr. Robin said, you ought to be walking to school. I walked two miles to school. Why, he said he, he'll fall dead, just sure as well. He'd climb them steps and fall dead right in that class, just like, uh, just sure as a world. Scared these lady teachers to death, you know, because I just weighed, just weighed 89 pounds, just tall as I am now, and I look like a walking skeleton. In fact, that's what they call me. <laughs> See? And so he said, uh, uh, now I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm going I'm to talk to the teachers. And he said, now any time you want to skip a class, you just skip it. You don't have to ask anybody. You just don't feel like climbing them steps. You don't climb them. You don't feel like going to that class. You don't go. You just stay in the study hall if you want to. Or, he said, anytime you feel like you'd like a little fresh air, you just get up. I, we'll notify all the teachers that we're going to have a meeting to discuss this, see? And those who are the study hall teachers, you don't ask permission for anything. If you just want to get up and go home, just get up and go home any time of the day you want to go. Anytime you want a little fresh air, just get up and leave the study hall, leave the school, go outside, sit on the steps, you know, and get some fresh air. Anytime you want to go get a drink of water, you don't ask permission or anything. You just go get I mean, in the class. If you're right in the middle of the class, you want to go. You go get a drink of water. Or you, or you, go, you, you go home, go get a little fresh air, or just cut any class you want to cut. But you see, my brother, sister, to cut one class, even though I felt like cutting them, even though I didn't feel like, I mean, when the day was over, that last class, that last class, after climbing, walking two miles to school in the morning, climbing steps for every class, that last class, from about 2.15 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I want to tell you, brother, 89 pounds, just as tall as I am now, 89 pounds, well, I weighed more than by then, I guess, maybe, maybe 100. I'd picked up some in that one month. I weighed 89 on about the 16th day of August when I walked off the bed of affliction. You see, in, in, I'm in school now in September. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I hadn't picked up much. And I know I looked terrible because I was wearing the clothes I wore before I got sick. 
So they hung on me, you know. They just hung on me like a scarecrow. I didn't have any money to buy any more. I was an orphan boy. And I didn't have any money to buy any more. I had to wear them. And I know they hung on me, you know, like a scarecrow, and I'm bound to scare everybody back. <laughs> when I first started preaching, I was very thin. They called me in one church I practiced. It was Tom Bean. They called me String Bean and Tom Bean. <laughs> Place down in Texas called Tom Bean, Texas, see? That's where I met my wife. So they called me String Bean and Tom Bean. Can't very well say that anymore, can you? So anyway, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, with nothing wrong with you. Just being that thin, friends, just being that thin, your strength would be limited. You know that. And it would have been very easy. I'll be honest with you. I felt more like not going than I did going to that class, particularly that last one, and I had to climb up to this third story, climb those steps to get there for this class. But you see, I've got to put God's Word first. God's Word says I'm healed. God's Word said I'm healed. God's Word said He's my strength. I, I've confessed my faith in God's Word, so I practice it, I act on it, I put it first, and I act upon it. And I just climbed out of there and climbed those steps and went to that class. And I'll tell you, I've sat in that class for those first two or three months, and it seemed like I was going to pass out. I mean, just become unconscious until I could hear the teacher's voice, but I couldn't see her. She had vanished. I couldn't see anybody in the class. They'd all vanish. I've gone to classes and don't even remember going. I mean, for to begin with. But I never missed a one. I never got a fresh breath of air. I mean, go outside to get it. I never got a drink of water. I never cut anything. I kept right on the line. I held fast to my confession. I know what it means to hold fast to confession. Amen. I fought the good fight of faith. I held fast, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. If you think, my brother, sister, that these things are just going to fall on you like ripe cherries off of a tree, you're badly mistaken. If you think that you're just going to utter one little old prayer and you're going to get the answer, sure, there's the prayer of faith, but the manifestation doesn't always come instantly. That's when you hold fast your confession. And if you think it's just always going to be easy and you're going to just simply sail through life on flowery beds of ease, you're all wet. Amen. You might as well quit now because we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and the darkness of this world. Praise God. Rulers of the darkness of this world and spirits of the wickedness is in high places. And I'll tell you the truth about this. This old Baptist boy, when I get my sail set, I don't change them. When I get my face set, I don't change it. And I held fast to my confession, this is mine, I have it. With weakness, filling my entire being with all the symptoms. Endeavoring to come back upon me of heart disease and heart trouble, endeavoring to come back upon me. And all the worst symptoms I've ever had fasten themselves upon my body. But I tell you, bless God, I'd preach on the school ground and preach in the schoolroom. And never cut a one, never cut a class, until every symptom, finally after a few months, I guess three or four of them, they disappeared, bless God. And I made a straight A report card and stood at the head of the class, not because I'm smart, but because I got God on my side. And I want to tell you, brother, there's no reason for the child of God not to be on top. Praise God in every situation.
Are you listening to me? That's the reason I can preach it with conviction because I've been there. It works. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on Jesus and the Word of God. It's because I put the Word first. And I didn't have a church to go to that preached divine healing. And I didn't have a person to talk to that believed in divine healing. And I didn't have anybody say anybody I could say to them, you pray for me, because they believed like I did. I had to fight it out by myself. Just a 17-year-old boy. I had to set my face like a flint toward heaven and say, live or die, sink or swim, go under or go over. I'm staying with it. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you, bless God, he said, fight the good fight of faith, didn't he? And it'll pay rich dividends to put God's word first. I'm talking about putting God's word first. Putting God's word first. Does God's word have anything to say about sickness and disease? Thank God it does. I'm glad it does, doesn't it? What does it have to say about it? He himself took our infirmities and by our sicknesses. By whose stripes you were healed. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm just using these for examples. What else? What is it you're facing? What does God's Word have to say about it? That's the thing that's important. Put that Word first. Now, number four. I reiterate the three first. The educating, the training, and the development of our spirits comes first by meditation in the Word, second by practicing the Word and being a doer of it, third by giving the Word first place in your life, and then fourth by instantly obeying the voice of our spirit. Now remember this. God speaks to your spirit. Doesn't speak to your head. God's word said in Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. See? See? God speaks to your spirit and informs your spirit and your spirit will pass that information on to your mind. Your spirit has a voice. We talked about that in one of the classes here. Your spirit has a voice. We call it guidance. We call it intuition. We call it an inward voice. We call it conscience. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Now, the conscience of an unsaved man is an unsafe guide because he's dominated by religious training if he's had it or if he has it, that and his conscience will permit him to do a lot of things that are wrong. But if a man is born again, his spirit has become a new spirit with the life and the nature of God in it. And if his spirit then has the privilege to meditate and feed on God's word and practice God's word and put God's word first, then you can see that your conscience and your spirit will become a safe guide and will become the voice of God speaking to you. Can you understand that? I believe this, that if we'll walk in fellowship with God through his word and by prayer and train and develop and fit our spirit through the word of God and learn to instantly obey the voice of our spirits, then after a while we can know the will of God the Father even in the minor details of life. Because, you see, he communicates with your spirit and not with your reasoning faculties. Hallelujah. Then besides that, if you're born again and then have received the Holy Ghost, oh, you haven't received the Holy Ghost because you're born again. 
one thing to be born of the Spirit, but that don't mean you receive the Holy Ghost. That's a different experience. Remember that Jesus said, I'll pray the Father and he'll send you another comforter or helper that he may abide with you forever. And Jesus said, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you. And then he said that the Spirit of truth, when he has come, he said he'll guide you. Oh, my brother, sister, he'll guide you into all truth. I do not believe that that only means that he'll guide us into this revelation that was given to the Apostle Paul concerning God's great plan of redemption. But I believe that that means also that the Spirit of God will guide us in the affairs of life. Amen. I believe that we ought to begin our day with the consciousness we've got a guide in us. We have the guide in us. Amen. We have the guide in us. Oh, glory to God. We have the guide in us. We have the guide in us. Hallelujah. We're not left without guidance. We're not left without direction. He said he'll guide you into all truth. Not only that, but he said he'll show you things to come. I don't believe that he just meant that the Spirit of God would show these apostles what we have recorded in the book of Revelation about future prophecy or some of the other writers about things to come. I don't believe that just means that at all. I believe it includes that. But I believe that means in our own individual life that the Spirit of God will show us things to come. I don't mean necessarily that He's going to show us things to come. He may some of us, as He wills, to come concerning our nation or something like that. But I believe that that means in your own individual life He'll show you things that's coming. He'll show you things to come so you'll be ready for them, so you'll be prepared for them, so you'll know so you'll be ready. You'll not be caught unawares. And then he'll show you some things because there's some things you could change. There's some things that'll happen if things go on like they are. But prayer will change things. Can you understand me? You see, the Spirit of God, God through his Spirit said to Isaiah, you go tell Hezekiah, set your house in order for thou shalt surely die. Well, that meant under the present circumstances and the way things was, he's going to die. So he delivered God's message. You're going to die. That, that's showing him something that's coming, isn't it? Yeah. Things that'll come. But then when Isaiah the prophet left that bedchamber of Hezekiah, this king turned his face to the wall. He wept, he cried, he prayed. He repented before God. And so God said before Isaiah got out of the courtyard, said, you go back. Spirit said, you go back and tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years. You see, there's some things that he may show you that's coming that you can change. He may show you some things about yourself. He may show you some things about your loved ones. That you can change. Now there's some things you can't change. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. But you can be prepared for it. You can be ready for it. Oh, I appreciate so much this, this wonderful guide, this Holy Spirit that's dwelling in our spirit that'll guide us, that'll show us things to come. There never has been since I was baptized with the Holy Ghost a death in our family that I didn't know it sometimes as far as two years ahead of time. Well, when you know that people of your loved ones are going to die two years ahead of time, brother, you can do a lot of getting them ready to go and getting everything fixed up and everything right, can't you? And there's some of them, there's some of them that we've been able to change it. And they're still alive when they would have been dead. Are you listening to me? Some of them we haven't been able to change it. Oh, my brother, sister, we're not left alone. I'm so glad. I'm so glad for that, aren't you? You know, over there, it, when, when Jesus talked to the apostles and said to them that, that, that it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. 
and he said to them that he would send the comforter. But you know, he said this to them, and, and I like this, because it's uh, particularly the, the Amplified translation. I'm going to read first from the King James. Does somebody have your Amplified there? I, I think the Amplified, uh, well, it does just what it said. It, it, it Amplified. You see, here he said in the, uh, in the 14th chapter of John, he said, I will pray the Father, he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. Who has amplified translation? Come out up here, Brother Copeland. Did you wear your... Wait a minute. Did you wear your shouting clothes tonight? If you didn't, you're going to be into it. Because if you can't shout over this, you haven't got a business in the world shouting over anything. Read it. I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you what? Orphans. Orphans. Comfortless. Comfortless. Desolate. Desolate. Bereaved. Bereaved. Forlorn. Forlorn. Or helpless. Or helpless. I'll come back to you. Woo! Woo! Glory to God. 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 I think if I didn't have this thing around my neck, I'd just have an East Texas brush armor spell right now. (laughs) Woo! Glory! Well, I'll tell you, bless God, as conservative as I am, you can get happy about this. Glory to God. I mean, as conservative as I am, you can get get stirred up about this. And if you can't get happy about this, Elamosa, Elamosa, Mentin Sontanka, Bratis de Cortobre, Catalefred, Pesco, Bregla Sote, Hananake, Vingolo Monse, Hamin Songolo Hulahai, E Fohuli Pehe, O Fehula Pahali Hino Hun Sana Mahana, Ena, Ana, Una. Cambre, Oshe, Kriste, Sambra Kandalapach, Kedos Topragistantaka. Get thrilled with the Word of God and walk in the light of the Word of God and claim that which the Word is spoken unto thee. And so thou shalt reap the benefits thereof. You shall become a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. And you shall become a recipient of the provision that He has made. And you will not need to look forlorn. And you will not need to feel forlorn. And you will not need to look as offerings. And you will not need to look as one who is bereaved or to feel as one who is bereaved but ye shall feel the strength of God in your spirit and ye shall have the power of God in your life and ye shall rise up like a strong man and do the works of God and you'll put the enemy to flight and the powers of darkness will flee before thee and the devil will run from thee and when he sees you coming he'll go the other direction because you are the God's man God's superman God's spirit field man God's man of power. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Praise God. 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 Thank you, Jesus. No, we're not left alone. No, we're not left helpless. No, we're not going to sing hold the fort. No, we're not going to sing, hold the fort. God never told us to hold the fort. Praise God, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen, we're going out, we're going out. We're not going to just hold on to what we've got. 
and settle down and wait for him to come and hope that we'll be saved. Oh no, oh no. We're going to rise up in the mighty name of Jesus and put the enemy to flight. Hallelujah. 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 That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.